0: Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and component markings. We're your hosts, electrical engineers, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 323. So our first topic today is... I This title might be a little... It, okay, it is very clickbait. <laughs> yeah, I was about to um, say insult you. it's very clickbaity. I, I do like it though. Um it is the worst timeline. A printer company is putting DRM in paper now. And uh this is some EFF, um the uh what is it, electronic uh, like electronic frontier foundation? I think that's correct. I'm not electronic sure. Electronic Frontier Foundation EFF. Yeah, I think that's correct. Um,
1: Yeah, Electronic uh,
0: Frontier Foundation. um, So what this is, is Dymo, who's a manufacturer of a bunch of like label printers, has started or has been um, putting RFID chips in their spools that go into these label makers. So everyone knows about um, printer companies like Epson and Brother. Like for inkjets, where like they lock you into theirs because their their cartridges for the inkjets have are, are have a chip in it, mm-hmm. and uh, and so like your printer will only recognize official cartridges and have like cartridges can only print so many pieces of paper until they run out in quotes of ink, um, and uh, well. On the flip side of that though is like thermal printers never had that issue cuz there's no ink, right? There's no there's no consumable there. Well, and the whole thing about label printers was you buy the printer and then
1: you can get whatever label just fits and you slap it in there and that's like yeah, one of the best parts about
0: label printers. Yeah. Um and uh so they added so Dymo added this RFID basically lockout chip if you want to say that um into their their spools and the first thing i thought of though is like what kind of rfid chip are they using that is cheap enough to be that disposable right right that can just go into a spool um because a long long time ago steven and i were looking at um ways to track panels on manufacturing lines pcb panels yeah, PCB panels, um, like either with stickers or stuff like that, but we kind of wanted to try, like, wouldn't it be cool if you could like just type like, uh, a command on like a, a console or whatever, and it would tell you like where a general location where that panel would be, which an art, if you had enough RFID, like transmitters and stuff around a building, you could, you could do that. Um, but basically, what we found though is the RFID chips were not cheap enough to do that because basically yeah. they're disposable. Because they're like some of them you solder on top of the board, so you would have like a footprint on the panel, mm-hmm. and then some you like route it out, like put it on the edge of the board, layer. and it like yeah, and they got it epoxied into the side. Yeah. Those were really cool, um, but very labor intensive to do, and uh, it just never worked out financially to make sense. So when they are just throwing away RFID chips yeah. and, and spools. Um, so I'm guessing, um,
1: you know, so what, what, real di- quick, uh, fun tangent. Uh, yeah. Somebody that I used to work with, um, they moved on and went to work for Lockheed Martin and um i I talked to him i don't know a year ago or something like that and uh, apparently they do rfid on all of your hand tools so if you're an assembler at a desk your screwdriver has rfid in it and they make sure that your screwdriver ends up in its place on your desk at the end of the day and if it's not there they can ask their system where's you know Jason's, uh, screwdriver and it can, it can triangulate and find his screwdriver. Yeah. 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 Um,
0: why do they do that?
1: I, I don't know. There, there must be some kind of regulations or something where they're just trying to be unbelievably strict such that I, I think it, I think it is traceability of everything. Like yeah, how did this get put together? What exact tool put this together? They can, yeah. What tool was about. at this desk?
0: Yep. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I guess if you need to track that kind of stuff, um, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, it's pretty cool, but
1: also, whoa. Yeah, whoa.
0: (laughs) Okay, label makers. Yes, so... um, I'm assuming... so, So what Dymo says is basically you can just put a spool in there, and now the RFID chip just tells the printer what the specifications of the spool is, which is a cool idea, except... Other manufacturers have done this same thing without electronics. Um, I have a brother printer somewhere, like, in a drawer down here for, like, printing labels and stuff. Um, And it uses, like, it has, like, pins, I guess, or, like, basically switches at the bottom of the printer. And when you put the spool in, it has a grid of holes and not holes, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) <laughs> that that either depress or not depress this the switches in the bottom and that tells the printer what you loaded into it. Yeah. And that's very easy for third parties to copy. Right. Um Basically what Dymo is doing is they're just locking you out into only Dymo products because of they probably have some kind of authentication. Um, handshaking that you can't easily clone like well they they also say in
1: this article um that it's it's also for auto counting of remaining labels which fine that's cool but do you need all that technology to do it like could you because it, it you know it can it can sense that you've put a new hundred count label in there and then it counts every time it rotates or whatever uh, and yeah. give you an accurate readout. But is that worth the added cost of now paying for these roles with an
0: RFID in it? Yeah. I, no. Exactly. <laughs> um, I don't think I've ever had a problem running out of out of uh, labels. Like that being a problem in like a production environment. Yeah. You, usually you just like have a – like what we do is we just have an inspection like once a, mo- a week – Like, look at the printers and, like, see how close of a reel is getting empty. And if it's getting close, you just put a new one in. Right. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah, no, this is not a huge problem to solve is what we're getting at. Correct. Yeah. And, like, zebra printers and stuff just have a – they have a counter built in. Right. And so you just, like, put the reel in and then you reset the counter and it it knows how many it spits out. Well, I I think them saying
1: this in their sales literature – Uh, Dymo is is just kind of like getting
0: away from the fact that they're locking you into yeah like locking you in correct yeah um I do want to know what I might just actually just buy a spool and see like Or maybe someone's already hacked it to figure out what the what's actually talking between them two hmm. um Like are they using the RFID chip as like an EEPROM to like store how many labels are being used so, like, it knows, like, oh, this spool has 643 left, right? And it, like, encodes that onto the RFID. I think that's what um, the sales literature is hinting at. Yeah. It'd be very interesting because I, I really want to know how, what part, or what component are they using that's that inexpensive that would work. You know, in this
1: article, they post a link to um, an NXP chip the CLRC 663 uh really, which is a that. high performance multi-protocol nfc front end now here's the thing i don't think that's what's in the um the the spools themselves i think that 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 is the chip that's probably or something similar to that is what's in the actual printer
0: Where do you see that in the article
1: uh they have a hyperlink um under uh in the words uh, rfid chips uh, I
0: don't know, halfway through somewhere. Oh, okay. No, I found it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's CLRC663. Let's just see what that looks like on Mauser. I, I already did that. It's a QFN package.
1: <laughs> in other words, I it doesn't look like a part you would put in a reel or a spool.
0: No, because they're like, nine dollars in singles and in quantity they're like seven dollars so i don't know maybe whoever wrote this um article might have just been like here's a something similar you know yeah it could be whoa that is a crazy package all right um look up this part number it is pn7360 A U H N slash c300y and for those in twitch chat i will post this to y'all and uh look at that image that is the wackest qfn lga i've ever seen in my life
1: oh that's cool yeah all the all the pads are like it's like you're going through hyperspace looking th- at the bottom of this chip. <laughs>
0: that's exactly what it is, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, The pa- some of the pads are like what you would expect. And then there's a big, nice, square, you know, thermal pad in the middle. But then there's a ton of pads that are all angular and yeah, kind of like, like light beams in a Star Wars uh,
0: hyperdrive situation. Yeah, so think of a QFN64, except it has 128 pins. Yeah, that's weird. And actually, okay, because- so it looks like the
1: lead frame um, that the die sits on before they encapsulate
0: it in the package, it looks like they just exposed the lead frame. <clears throat> actually, I think that's what it is, because I'm looking at page. What page is this? 13 of the data sheet for the part, and those hyperspace leads <laughs> hyperspace are parts. are just connected to the outer Pad. Oh, yeah. No, that's totally it. Yeah. That is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Those look like they're pads. They're, you wouldn't actually solder to those things. Correct. The, so, important note, the inner leads below the package are internally connected to the pin. Special care needs to be taken during the design so that no conductive part is present under these pins, which could cause shorts. Well, my, the data sheet I'm looking at, which says, which could cause
1: shortcuts. Yeah, shortcuts. I saw. Yeah, <laughs> shortcuts to what? Okay. Yeah. No. That that's literally the exposed lead frame for the uh, the die.
0: That's cool. Yeah. That's you don't that's you don't weird. see that often. Like no, you ever. don't <laughs> ever. I, that's the first time I ever seen that. I'm like, wait, what? Like, yeah. I was just in my brain. I'm trying to think of like, how do you design that in a. EDA tool. Oh, you know.
1: Okay, so if you had to design that an EDA tool, what would suck about that is every single pad would have its own definition. Yeah. You'd have to design every difference. pad unique. <laughs> well, or or you don't have to do four, four quadrants, edge. I guess. Yeah, four quadrants. <clears throat> but but still, like that would be awful because uh, okay, yeah. um, in my package, the uh, dip trace, that's not a definable pad. You'd have to select each one of those pads and call it a polygon and then define all your corners for everything that would that's how you have to do an eagle too (laughs) well i'm glad they don't uh i'm glad those are not pads that you're supposed to solder to
0: yeah and on the on page oh what is this 96 of the data sheet um it has like the footprint layout and it just has a big keep out area where you just can't put anything. Yeah, just don't like go. That. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that that's that's not the part that's in the reels though because that's in, that those are really expensive.
1: Yeah, like I was saying, this this could per- perhaps be similar to something that's, that would be in the
0: the printer itself. Yeah, the printer itself. Crazy. For sure. So, um if you care about drm for your label printers probably don't buy a dymo 550 i think is what it is yeah because they were saying like you know like a regular roll of labels is you know somewhere in
1: the two to five dollar range and they're suggesting that these rfid tagged ones are 10 to 15 dollar range so your consumable part just went through the roof in terms of cost and yeah. I don't know. That's annoying. And and it's also important to note that it's it's not all of Dymo's printers that are doing this. Uh, okay. They say like a, a particularly new batch. Of- yeah, it's
0: the 550 and the 5XL, according to this article.
1: Cool.
0: Interesting. Well, I I want to look more into like what's actually going on in there, and what chip are they using for the, the disposable end. Looks and like- it's one of those things that's like what gets me is like we need less of this kind of stuff. Right? Less less waste. This is more waste. Uh well how would it how would it necessarily add to waste? Well, so instead of just a spool like a cardboard spool that is oh recyclable oh, I see. okay i see what you're getting now at you have a spool that's got electronics in it <laughs> right right and here's the thing you've been trained uh
1: you know you being whoever is replacing the uh, the the printer stuff that little cardboard sleeve you recycle it or you throw it away or whatever uh you know are you going to responsibly get rid of it now are you going to uh treat it as e-waste with a little antenna in it maybe maybe not probably not, not. if you've been Handling it as just
0: trash your entire, uh, the entire time you've been using it. Yeah. So Craft Lab in our Twitch chat found a link on NXP for a like the tag slash transponder component. Um, that would this might be it. We don't know. This is, but it's on NXP's website, which was with the other component that we were looking at, and it is the SL. 2 S2602 FTBX, which is a NFC RFID tag transponder. It's a three lead part, and in quantity on Mauser is 24 cents a piece, which is much more reasonable. Yeah, it's not a 10 chip. Quote disposable unquote device. (laughs) (sighs) Ah. (sighs) like <sighs> what what kind of Dude, package lessons. does it come in this it's like a three lead uh like a sot thing uh, it's a sot one one two two <laughs> mm-hmm. okay it's like an lga oh okay yeah, LGA. yeah 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 yep yeah, yeah.
1: <clears throat> little uh pads on a package kind of thing like uh yeah. diodes and transistors come in that
0: yeah i don't like these packages at all they're annoying to work with yeah This is probably or similar to it. It looks like it works as like a, a built-in EPROM and that kind of stuff. So, is it? How is it powered? Are these
1: uh, are these spools like actually connected? No, usually you
0: have a antenna. Oh, okay. And yeah, it's, and it's just power wireless. Yeah, powered over wireless. Okay, usually how this kind of stuff works. Yeah, I mean that would. And make since you know sense. the spool has to be within a certain distance, right. they probably have some tuned um, antenna. See, that's why I'm wondering if they put it
1: on on the you know most likely the radius of the of the spool, such that every time it rotates, it it senses again, and that's how they can count the number of labels.
0: Oh no, I bet you they're just like when you put a spool in the the RFID chip says I had ten thousand. Labels. Maybe. And then yeah. when the printer spits one out, it says, it hey, just you induct one. <laughs> yeah. That's probably how it works.
1: But it would be so much cooler if it was, like, active.
0: Oh, it had, like, an accelerometer in it, and so <laughs> it, knew it flipped over and rotated? Yeah, like,
1: more intelligent. If you're going to pay more, it should be more intelligent.
0: Yeah. Could be.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It feels a little bit slimy. But then again printers have always been a little bit that way. You know, they yeah. you buy a $30 printer at Walmart and then you immediately have to go out and buy $80
0: worth of ink. Yeah, the moment that you have to print a, your 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 English report, yeah, your resume. Yeah. That was at my thing I had at college. I actually had a dot matrix printer. <laughs> of course you did. And um I printed all my stuff on that. And I, 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 I should get another dot matrix. When I graduated, I bought a little tiny laser mm-hmm. printer for like $99, I think it was. It's like a little inexpensive Dell one. And it's still on its original, like, cartridge thing. Wow. Toner. Toner. That's what it's called for a laser. A toner. Right. Um. I, I don't print a lot, though. So I should get another dot matrix, though, because those were, you know, Set it up to print, and yeah, it's noisy as hell. <laughs> oh yeah, but I, it was cheap. Like I got it at—I think I bought it at an estate sale, with like a box of paper too. And I yeah. just—I never had to buy paper or or anything for it. It just worked. Though I think it it ran on a the printer port, and I don't think any computer has a printer port anymore. <laughs> I had to when
1: I was messing with my CNC about two years ago um i had to go find a motherboard that that had a integrated printer port because this cnc it uses the printer port for all of its stepping and direction and stuff like that which it the software would not work over a uh, translator over usb or anything it had to be motherboard direct printer port yeah. and uh yeah that's hard to find
0: nowadays yeah i wonder um I think printers will work with those converters. It's just not CNC because that's you know, you're you're actually like the bits being, uh, the bits being tickled. Are, it's being are, tickled, and you uh, you don't want any buffer in between there. Yeah, you don't want any buffer in there.
1: <laughs> and I guarantee you, any translator has some kind of a buffer. Well, yeah, it's serial
0: has to be has to have a buffer,
1: right? So yeah, it, uh, <laughs> you're not, gonna, your CNC is going to go uh, whack if that was the case. Well, All right. Hi. So <clears throat> I got a topic I want to talk about cause I kind of ran into this recently and, um, I've, I've sort of changed my mind a little bit on this and I, <laughs> this is kind of goofy. We've talked about this a handful of times in the past throughout the last handful of years, but mar- how to mark your components on your PCB. Uh, and we've what are some articles about this <laughs> yeah we have we have written yep yeah. uh, so so we've we've certainly said a bunch of different things uh, about this but one of the things that's important I think with marking your components is being clear but on top of that like why are you even marking your components and what is the purpose of marking your components and yeah obviously you know some some Uh, components are polarized and they need to go a particular way. But like what is the marking even there for? Like who's actually looking at it?
0: Well and it's like I provided a XYRS. Right. That uh, should be good enough, right? Yeah, that should be good enough, right? Right. So so one thing that's important to note
1: is when you okay you give your files off to uh, your, your PCB manufacturer, they buy everything. And then when it's game day and it's time for them to build a board for you, they have to go to their pick and place and they load all the components onto reels or magazines or feeders or whatever. They plug them into the, 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 the machine, and then they have to verify every single one of those parts. Um, Every manufacturer I've ever visited goes one by one, looks at every single part, and makes sure that it is correct on your board. And it's a multi-step process of verification. So that would be they're checking your XYRS, but they're also checking the actual package of the component, and they're checking your PCB. So there's multiple levels of checking going on here. And and every uh um Every PCB assembly machine I've worked with has optics on it uh, that will show an, an overlay of what the part looks like on top of an actual image of your board, which is really convenient because then you get to see uh, the, the placement. You get to see basically where pin one is. And it depends on how the machine works, but they all indicate pin one some way. And then you can look at the board and compare that against XYRS. And this is where it gets important, in my opinion, to have your marking be extremely clear. And uh, for a while, I was against putting marking underneath components. I always liked putting marking outside of component, uh, the the landing of the component. Oh, the footprint? Of the footprint, yeah. Um, I always liked doing it outside, but I think I'm warming up to the idea that doing it on the outside and the inside is not a bad idea mainly because um, I've run into some boards that are so densely populated that it's become incredibly difficult to f- see what the marking is outside. Uh, if, if there was marking on both outside and inside, <clears throat> I think that would that would actually solve a lot of issues, especially because if there's marking on the inside, you could basically treat that marking on the inside as you specifically talking to the machine operator. Like markings on the outside are like, hey, this is my indicator for anyone who's hand building it or looking under a microscope. But the ones on the inside of the package are saying, hey, machine operator, this is me telling you exactly this without having to stand next to you or write you an email or be on the phone with you. Uh, So the uh, marking components, there's like a gazillion different ways to do it. And I think one of the things I'm starting to dislike is marking components with a number. Like, in fact, I don't even like the idea of uh, we've been using it a gazillion. I mean, for for a long time of saying pin one. That doesn't necessarily mean uh, the correct thing because your part might not have a pin one. It might have anode cathode. Well, like, what does pin one mean in that situation? Pin Mm. one doesn't always necessarily mean the thing that is supposed to be aligned to at the same time. So I think the verbiage around saying pin one isn't necessarily... uh, We should say something like indicator mark or indicator
0: pin or something because it it Mm. is different. Indicator, I think, is a good term for it. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And, And so I've run into boards where the designer really liked to put the number one next to pin one, which, okay, fine. That that
0: works. We can so deal I, with it. I would like that a lot if the data sheet calls a pin one. Yes. For the mechanical I, drawing for it.
1: But, but here's the thing that really sucks about that. If you have a densely uh, populated board and you really like to put reference designators of all the components around, it's really common to have the number one around. Like our... 101 or yeah, okay. U11 yes. or think of all these other reference designators that will also have the number 1 well okay now your pin 1 indicator for your part is now lost in a sea of other things and and at the same time like maybe there's like a transistor nearby that is Q2 uh, and it's really close to this pin mm-hmm. one indicator or whatnot is that it looks like q21 now is it q21 or is one the pin one indicator? like it just it gets confusing really quickly so i would i would honestly suggest to those out there don't use the number to represent your your directional indicator on your footprints use a dot uh and and preferably use one indicator dot on the outside of your package and one on the
0: inside of your package um, so what I typically do is draw bounding boxes around parts, mm-hmm. even like uh, resistors and capacitors. Mainly to show like orientation, like because if you put a bunch of let's say 0603s next to each other, like let's put you put two next to each other. Well, do they go hot dog style or do they go hamburger style? The two components <laughs> uh, we put. So I draw. I have all my yeah. footprints have bounding boxes. Yeah, um, and the bounding boxes are like. Uh, the silk screening is basically where the keep out area line would be. So sure. like, so you can put the parts right next to each other and basically the silk screen just overlaps in the center. Um, I do a, uh, I actually go, been going away from internal marking. And my reasoning is the silk screen is not flat. And I've actually seen, um where the silk screening underneath a component let's say qfp this is actually what i've seen before it was enough to cause a coplanar problem in production
1: oh really wow okay yeah
0: um now was that basically just extra it was like the silk screen was thicker than normal probably was actually the real problem but you know it was within tolerance of the silk screen process because it's not designed. It's not a super precise. Silk screen is not a super precise thing on PCBs. No, not at all. It's like the least controlled specification on the entire board. Um, and so, uh, and, and and if you have like a QFN, you can't have any silk screen underneath that part. Um, right. At all. Um, and uh. So what I, I generally do is put a bounding box. That's basically where the keep out area would be. And then the indicator needs to be in that bounding box. Um, now I have been experimenting with putting like the designator, if you can, but like a QFN, you know, you have a, a bounding box mm-hmm. and then you have like basically blank corners, right? Um, putting like the designator in the one end of the corners or something like that. Yeah. Um, but the the solution to what you were talking about though is what, what's it called high density design hdd mm-hmm. and when you do the reason why hdd costs more is because generally you don't have any silk because you can't put silk screen on right it there's no room. without it being yeah. a mess right right and so you have an assembly document um yeah. that shows <laughs> pin one on all the components um I, I'm my bad I just I just did it pin one the indicator shows yeah. the indicator for all the components um, but even let's let's roll back a bit is uh, you're a designer putting together your footprints um, there's a couple what was how long ago was this when we talked about this there's, there's a there's a there's a standard out there uh, IPC standard for um, how you set up your footprints mm-hmm and it's like upper left corner, unless oh, isn't that J deck. Like, is that J deck standard? I, think it's I don't JDEC, remember anymore. Yeah. Um, basically, it boils down to upper left corner or how it comes off the reel, the package. Um, I always prefer coming in off the package because that's what the machine, like a pick and place, is going to refer to as pin one mm. or indicator
1: the indicator zero
0: rotation (laughs) zero rotation of your component is going to be the pick and place plucking the part out and and that's zero yeah um and so sure there's like a mechanical drawing of like a footprint in most pdfs and most data sheets but you also need to look at how it's packaged and usually that's also detailed um out of like it'll show like a real and, like, where the pin indicator would be in relationship to the reel. Um, so that's your zero rotation. And that will help out your CM, like, immensely yeah. if you just match that.
1: Well, and that's the whole point. Because then your X, Y, R, S is You're correct. just trying to help your CM in this case. Make yes. things less confusing and make it easier to read. It, anything you can do to help indicate the indicator uh, in a in a clear way is the best. I, I, I still like I haven't run into coplanarity issues with uh soakscreen under packages. Uh and so I, I think if the package allows for it, I would still say do it if you can. Mm-hmm. Um you know another thing I've I've run into and I actually really like this, but it can be troublesome. Um I've seen diodes where somebody draws the diode symbol next to the diode if there's room in silkscreen. So you can just look at it, and that tells you what's anode and what's cathode. Uh, I've run into it, however, though, where the designer messed up and drew the the silkscreen of the diode backwards, but then put the letter A, anode, on an opposite pin. And so you have... X Y R S. you have the letter A somewhere and then you have a diode symbol and they're not agreeing and that's extra confusing. That, so yeah. if if you're going to go through all the, the effort of putting extra stuff, just be unbelievably clear about everything and like double, triple, quadruple check that mm. uh, everything aligns properly.
0: Yeah. I I don't like putting uh, the diode symbol, usually because I don't have space. Yeah. I just put a big big bar where the anode should be the bar is the cathode yeah you're right, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah See, I would put the a in the wrong spot <laughs> right 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 <laughs> um, and 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 so
1: you know this this actually brings up a little <laughs> bit of a of a side thing that I want to uh, mention I think it's really important if if at all possible say you're this is just talking to people out there who have an idea and they want to make a gizmo or whatnot. I think it's incredibly important that you own your own design and that you be prepared to support it. And what I mean by that is um, if you want to develop electronics and you want to get electronics assembled and made and then sell them as a product, be prepared to own the ability to modify those files. So in other words, you're, you're talking with your CM and you, you've handed them, them the, the files and the CM comes back and said, hey, these these part indicator markings are are difficult to read can you go out and change the uh, the silkscreen for our next run of this like that's a very reasonable and regular style request that you might get while working with the cm and and if if you're running something like a open hardware project where you just downloaded some gerbers and handed it to uh, cm that would be an example of well you don't have the ability to adjust that unless you want to go scrub gerbers and uh, and adjust things which that's brutal don't do that done that (laughs) well yeah we all have because we've had to but but uh, you know like be prepared and have the correct software to be able to adjust these files Um, it will make your relationship with your CM a lot better and (laughs) I want to make sure that I'm saying this is like this is all like hypothetical I'm not saying this because this has happened to me it's just I was thinking about it earlier today as I was looking at some some uh, part markings and uh, thinking like ah you know I think I, I think we could do better uh, mm-hmm.
0: in, in general. Yeah, I think if you start, you you start with how the CM is going to be uh, seeing where the zero degree rotation would be, and start there with your footprint, right? And then making sure that the indication is clear, and then providing an assembly document. The assembly document thing, like, is it,
1: that's unbelievably great. Uh, yes. If 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 I received that, I would be, uh, you know, praiseworthy to the to the designers because I I don't think I've ever received an assembly document that have I've had to make assembly documents for yeah. for these things, but like being given one as the CM, I don't think so.
0: Yeah, that's that's actually part of the uh, macrofab backend is taking oh. all this random data and putting it into a standardization form. Yeah. For our all our network factories, right, and uh, part of that process is building an assembly document so that we normalize all the rotations, make sure the pin indicators are correct. Um. But yeah, the um. Yeah, if you can do the indication on the inside, underneath, it might be fine. I just I've seen that before of causing problems. Yeah, and um. So I generally don't do that. Oh, here's but. a here's a good thing, good tip for layouts. Um, don't put
1: vias right at the, the pin indicator because, like, oh, most, of, yeah. most of the time that just it just they don't print. <laughs> it just like yeah, goes in print. the via, it goes or away. Yeah, just goes away. Like like treat the the uh, the indicator mark as sacred and just don't. <laughs> It needs its own keep out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Honestly, I'd be okay with that. I really would. Yeah. yeah, that'd be interesting. Is uh, in all your footprints, is actually put a keep out on your indicator so the silkscreen always prints clean. There. Mm, that's not a bad idea. So you can't run a trace, or you can't run a uh, via there. Oh, also, just make sure that the
1: the indicator mark isn't like a single dot that goes through the silkscreen or, or in whatever printer they use. Like, in other words, like, I don't know, a, a, 10,000th by 10,000th dot is not an indicator. It needs to be bigger than that.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so designators, uh, markings, that's the, the biggest. Once you start shrinking down your designs, fitting designator markings becomes very, very difficult. <laughs> it <laughs> and does. And them making sense. Like, if you put a lot, a lot of resistors in a row, like, sometimes, like, when you start going below 0603, like, 0402s, or 2s, there's just not enough space to have a designator that's one printable, and you can fit them all by the component. Uh, I, so yeah, I would sacrifice designators before uh, indicator marks. Well, how do you treat that though? Do you like put all your designators in a row and then point arrows to the parts, or because I've done like a w- bunch of weird stuff like that, trying to make it clear. It
1: it depends. Um, at WMD, we actually don't put designators on our boards, uh, so our boards are blank other than pertinent information. Um,
0: so you you really do high density design, uh, HDD, basically. Well, then. even in our boards that we don't, we don't. yeah, I know, but that's. That's that technique. When yeah. you when you see that at a CM, we're like we do HDD or high density design. Yeah. That's what it is is they have a process to handle boards that don't have any silkscreen on it basically. Right. Well, I mean we'll we'll make whatever the files say.
1: It's just when we do our own personal des- or the the company's designs um we just do the designator less uh and and that ends up i mean the thing is like when you when you start getting so low your font size is like two and and it just ends up just being white blobs all over the place now in the past i've done exactly what you just mentioned where it's like okay say i have a string of resistors i'll write the string of resistors you know somewhere wherever i can on the board and draw lines to them uh and anything that just makes it legible that's uh yeah That's really all that matters. Um, So it just depends on what your company's, uh, I guess, rules and standards are. If I have the ability to put reference designators on boards, I do that. And in fact, if I ever have boards where um, there's hand stuffing or hand soldering, as much as possible, I try to put value as well just to make it extra clear. So designator Mm -hmm. and value. And that works with, like, through-hole resistors and things like that. But... um, yeah, I mean, you sacrifice the least critical things as you go down the list. Yeah, I go down the list.
0: Um, random thoughts. Yeah. What if you could make the designator your pin indicator? Um,
1: I mean, you could absolutely do that. You could. But that would also be... You'd have to make that ex- very, very clear to the CM because that's not a standard. Yeah,
0: I've never seen that before, but I'm like... A lot of times, I'll draw, like, a square yeah, for, like, the indicator. And it's like, what if you put the text inverted in there for the in- for the uh, designator? Hmm. That'd be cool looking. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I've never seen that before. Maybe we can make that <laughs> a standard. That'd be cool. You know, one thing, <laughs>
1: if, if your board would allow for it, one thing you could do, this could actually work out well. Uh Instead of using silkscreen for your your pin indicator, do a little circle of exposed solder mask, um, and just have a little copper circle or something like that, or gold circle, um, and then that would be like,
0: who cares what the solder mask is? You don't have to pay attention to it. You just pay attention to those little circles. Yeah, you could that you could do that under a package because then you're not running into complainer problems. Then right, exactly. If, you could yeah. run into solder hitting it, but. Generally, no. Yeah, just don't put solder on it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, right. You—that's just the thing. You'd have to—you'd have to be very explicit
0: about those things not
1: having paste on them.
0: Yeah, you have to be explicit about that, and some CMs might see those as fiducials and then want coordinates for them. <laughs> tons, um, tons of
1: fiducials everywhere. Yeah,
0: tons of fiducials everywhere, and then you also run into the problem of. Uh, what was it um I'm blanking on it but yeah I could see a, a manufacturer seeing that as fiducials and wanting coordinates for them and it's like those aren't those aren't fiducials um I remember uh man the first production board I ever designed no I think that that's not the first one the first pinball production board I designed um and because we were assembling it with that um what was it? It was that uh that old pick and place that was made the out GSM? of extrusion. No, it was before the GSM. Okay. Um it was it was a pick and place based off like eighty twenty extrusion. Oh very slow. Was it Matek
1: or something like that?
0: Something Madel? like that. Medell, Medel. yeah, it was a it was a very inexpensive like hobby grade Medell, right? Picking place, and uh, and the optics on it were not big enough to see because it had a QFP one hundred on it. Um, it was like a PIC thirty two microcontroller, and it was a QFP one hundred, and the optics on it were not wide enough to see that whole package,
1: mm.
0: or. Not to see the whole package like clearly enough. like There was basically too much distortion. And so to get around it, I put a fiducial in the middle of that package. Like right in the center. Yeah. And so that it could line up the uh, that part correctly. That makes sense. Because it was like a 0. 0.4 millimeter QFP, which is a pretty fine pitch to assemble on that kind of machine. And uh, so, yeah, I just had a fiducial for that part right in the middle. So it knew to line up just right just 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 perfect
1: <laughs> just perfect
0: just perfect whatever happened to that machine um i think we sold it i think we sold it online on like ebay or something like that okay yeah i think yeah i think we sold it on ebay and then someone just came by and picked it up nice it was a good machine good little machine yeah um would i buy another one of those no i think hobby gray picking places have gotten a lot better now though um that one was a little rough it it took you had to like baby it to get it to to place well
1: and it probably didn't um place quickly right 400 places an hour an hour
0: yeah oh okay
1: (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's not very fast (laughs)
0: Yeah, it it wasn't fast. It was faster than hand placing for sure. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, because it didn't get tired, right? So you could run it for like ten hours a day, and it would be fine. Um, it was mainly the babying was in like setup, making sure all the offsets were set up right, because it was one of those like it advanced the feeder by like moving the head down and like poking a lever. Right. Right. Yeah, it was kind of weird. <laughs> I've
1: seen one for like oh gosh it was like 0603 components where it would pick up an 0603 and drop and put it on the board but now the little well for the 0603 was open so it would take the nozzle put it in there and drag the tape uh, with oh. the nozzle <laughs> why <laughs> hey it that works i guess i uh, just like I guess it you does damage work, the man. nozzle
0: eventually yeah <laughs> And that's assuming it's like no. I guess it would work in plastic tape too because it's, it's, it probably never poked through it. It probably just like went into the pocket. Yeah, yeah. No, it would just t- put the nozzle directly into the pocket and then okay, and then yank it. That's not
1: the worst idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it, it has the it has the holes for the cogs on the side of the tape. They could have just referenced
0: that, but yeah, that might be better. I would say yeah. But um, that's actually not. The more I think about it, it's actually not a bad idea. I like. I like. I would much rather the press the
1: little lever and it and it advances. Yeah, because it,
0: it didn't matter how far the lever went down as long as it went past like the index for it. Right. Right. Because it had it had basically a ratchet mechanism in it. Um, yeah. Hmm. Silkscreen is. I think th- I think the biggest problem with silk screening as the primary method of showing where the pin indicator is is there's so many different ways of showing pin indicators and what makes sense to you might not make sense to whoever is looking at that data down the road. Absolutely, yeah. Also, what makes
1: sense to you on a screen in your EDA tool will look incredibly different through a low-res camera in a
0: pick-and-place machine.
1: Yeah, That's showing
0: you black and white, you know, not a lot of color contrast. Um, So my advice is always, like, design it how zero degrees would be, your your footprint, and go the extra mile and use one of your layers for drawing, like, the component so you have an assembly dock down the road. Yeah. Um, so in your footprint, you can use like, I, th- I can't remember what it is in Eagle, but there's like an assembly layer and you can just draw your component. And that it's actually really nice when you have like an STM microcontroller that has like three dots on it.
1: <laughs> I hate
0: that. And yeah, but the great thing is in those data sheets, they do show the three dots like yeah. where they're at. Right. So you can draw them on your assembly documents. Yeah, reference so
1: th- this dot.
0: Yeah, Well, reference that dot, but you can draw all three dots, and so right. then there's only one way it can go on now. You uh, so I all did of them. I manufactured uh, a, a product a while back,
1: um, a high volume thing, and uh, one of the one of the interesting things was the factory that it. The, after the first board came off the line, it was validated, and then the very first thing that happened at this place—crazy, but they did it. They went every single part and they hot aired it off and then they stuck it to a sheet of paper, basically glued that part to a sheet of paper with all the reference designators um, such that you had an actual, like they destroyed an entire board, but you knew what every single component looked like. So even if it was like a pastor or something, you had an actual capacitor on this piece of paper with its reference designators, such that any time down the road, if you wanted to look at, uh, you know, you had a board in hand and you're like, oh, is this, did we place the right part? You could go over to these sheets of paper that had all the parts ripped off of a good board and said, yes, that's the exact one. It, it, they look the same, which mm-hmm. was nuts to do for an entire board's worth of parts, but but they did it. And yeah, I guess that's one way. If you're doing high volume manufacturing, there's there's extra tricks like that that make uh,
0: problems easier down the road.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: anything you can do to make your life easier down the road. Um, it's what was it? The engineers will spend ten hours to save repetition. Oh yeah, same kind of thing. The, this yeah. yeah, no,
1: this would totally be it. Yeah,
0: yeah, is design your footprint correctly the first time, and then you don't have to worry about it.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your hosts, Stephen Craig and Parker Dolman. Take it easy.
0: Later, everyone. Thank you, yes, you are a listener for downloading and listening to our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, topic, or a cool way to do pin indicators for components on your boards that we did not mention, and we would, I I wanna hear crazier things. Like I see a lot of boards, I wanna see more stuff. Especially stuff that like, if you have a method that solves like everything for like part rotations, we want to hear it um, and you can let us hear it by tweeting us at MacFab at longhorn engineer or at analog eng, or email us at podcast at macfab.com or check out the Slack channel. Um, it's macfab.com slash Slack. Steven and I and 670 some odd engineers hang out in that channel. If you can show us a way to do pin indicators that that solves everything, You'll blow our minds. Oh, and we live stream on Tuesdays at 6 o'clock Central Time at twitch.tv slash macrofab.